And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Michael Card. And Michael, it's great to have you with us today. Thanks, Dan. Great to be here. No, we've talked a couple of times in interviews, and uh, I had to review myself. I went and looked you up online again, and I guess uh, the number of albums you've recorded is somewhere around 37. Yeah. And uh, authored some 25 books. I know some time ago you used to be on a radio program in the studio with Michael Card, Mm -hmm. and uh, you've written for magazines, so you've got a a wide background. One of the key things that you've been involved with that we did talk about at one point was racial reconciliation, Uh neighborhood renewal. Last I knew, you had four children and one grandchild. Right, well, I've got one more grandchild since that happened. Uh, (laughs) We have to update that bio. Well, congratulations. That's wonderful. Yeah, grandchildren are great. You don't do anything and you get a kid. It's (laughs) almost kind of yours. Wonderful. You know, um, back a few Sundays ago, our pastor preached on Psalm 137. The context was the Babylonian exile, and it's a psalm of lament. And he was pointing out that lament appears in the both Old Testament and even New Testament over and over again. And it's the form that I thought maybe you could guide us through a little bit today. I, I, I believe, sure. I, I recall that you've you've dealt with it, maybe even written some musical pieces on lament. Yeah. And so where do we start as we consider this huge topic of lament in the scriptures? Well, I, I think there's a, there's a simple sort of structure that, that it, it's helpful uh, to, to, to lay out first. And, and that's the basic idea is that the Bible is a journey. The Bible is taking us somewhere. And that, for me, has always been a very encouraging uh, idea. And sometimes I don't feel like I'm going anywhere, but uh, the, the Bible is taking us somewhere. I think the journey begins with uh, Torah, with uh, uh, Torah obedience. Um, and there's this, the formula of Torah is if, if I'm obedient, God will bless me. And if I'm disobedient, God will discipline me. That's you know, and that's a good thing. There are some Christians who think that the law is not a good thing, but God wouldn't give us something that would that wasn't good. But they misunderstand that uh, that's the beginning of the journey. Uh, I think of my my oldest child is Katie, and she's thirty now. But when she was a little kid, I would tell her, you know, if you clean your room, I'll give you some M and M's. If you don't clean your room, I'm going to spank you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's Torah. You know, that's that that's that formula. But um, but our relationship is, is going someplace. It's going, you know, to a place where she's knowing me as her father, and she's learning that I'm not just the Eminem man. And I think that's, that's the basic structure. The Bible begins with Torah, and it ends with uh, incredible intimacy in the book of Revelation. I mean, it's a wedding feast. I mean, we're, we're basically God takes us, you know, as a spouse. And, and so the question is, if that structure is true, and I think it is, the question is, what the middle part of the journey, and the great central section of the journey is the wilderness, and uh, that's where lament, uh, lament is the language of the wilderness, but growing to know who God is, going through uh, difficult times, you know, uh, you see it in Israel, you know, that's, they began with Torah obedience, and God drew them to himself, he took them through the wilderness, and the same thing in the life of Jesus, Jesus goes to the wilderness, and he demonstrates his dependence on God, so that's where laments come from. 
having a, a bit of an understanding of who God is, but then going through the wilderness and learning that when we're hungry, there's manna, when we're thirsty, there's living water, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. The amount of time us Christians like to spend in praise, all that is good. Yeah. But perhaps um, perhaps a praise song doesn't always fit the circumstances. Have you ever felt that? Absolutely. I, I think, um, well, numerically, there are more psalms of lament than any other type of psalm. So that should be a red flag right there, because <laughs> the Psalter is the worship book of the Bible. And so what I tell people is a lament is still worship. It's worshiping God. Yes. Uh, because worship, the, the word comes from worship. And uh, what we do when we worship God is we celebrate his worth, and we learn what he's worth in the wilderness. Mm. So, um, and every single one of the lament psalms, except one, Psalm 88 is the only one that does a transition, but every single uh, one other than Psalm 88, they transition at some point to pray. They're, they're, it's all worship. But if you look at uh, if you look at them, they'll they'll make a turn, and the uh, the lamentor Psalm seventy three is one of the best examples. The the, the 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 psalmist begins, you know, I I I I me 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 me, and then there's this turn. They realize something about God as as he as they're being drawn into this intimacy, and then it's all about you 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 did this. You take me by my right hand. You you'll take me to glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And on earth, there's nothing you know I desire but you. And um, and I, I think we we really we need this in our churches, and that's that's why I made so much of it. I, I dwelt on it so long. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Um, the wilderness. Um, I wonder how much. It's probably not statistically possible to predict this, but I wonder how much of a Christian's life is actually spent in the wilderness. Well, I mean, I would like to say the majority of it is in the wilderness. Um, yeah. The Christian wilderness isn't all always desert. I mean, there are times, you know, there are times when Israel is very close to God in the wilderness. In fact, I just there's kind of a new idea. Um, I just read an article on Psalm 109, which is a, a, a almost the language of rage. Um, very um, David is very upset that someone has uh, has not cared for the poor, and the the idea, kind of this new idea, is that that. that Israel was really closest to God when they were in the wilderness. When they got to the promised land, it all sort of fell apart. Yeah. But when they were so dependent on him, you know, for everything, they uh, they, they seemed to be pretty close. Yeah. My uh, pastor was having a little bit of fun. He taunted us um, when he was talking about the idea of lament. He says, uh, is there a lament hour on your local Christian station? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did album of lament and and two books on lament and let me tell you they don't sell people do yeah. not play people do not play that's the point um now yeah. which which songs have you written songs on lament and which if so which ones yeah i have a whole out al- i have a whole album called hidden face of god oh of course i've written um in, in 35 years i've written 450 songs and my favorite song of all time is a song on that album called come lift up your sorrows it's based on Psalm 51. I mean, here, here's another sort of big idea with the Psalms. Psalm 51, David is lamenting, you know, his sin with Bathsheba, and he, uh, he he's basically forfeited everything, his kingship and, and everything else. And he's, he's committed murder, he's committed adultery, and, and as a result, this little baby is dying that mm-hmm. Bathsheba had. 
And uh, David realizes, and this is the big idea behind Lament, David realizes that all he's got left is all God ever wanted in the first place, his broken spirit and his contrite heart. It's not the blood of bulls and goats you want, he says, the sacrifice of the God or broken spirit and the contrite heart. And if you think about it, Dan, uh, what is Jesus doing at the moment, that moment in his life when he's most, most being used by God? on the cross. What's he doing? He's lamenting. Yes. In fact, he's lamenting in David's words. Mm. It's a huge idea. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. You're really on to something here. Um, maybe it's our culture here in America, and don't get me wrong, I love our freedom. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that we can eat and go to bed at night and that sort of thing. But the other day we were interviewing an Arabic Christian minister, a gospel minister, who knows too well all the goings-on of the persecuted church near where mm-hmm. he lives. And he, I think his words were something like, we here have a doctrine of suffering and persecution. Mm-hmm. And um, frankly, I don't know much of that, to be honest. You know, we, we think we have it hard when somebody talks behind our back, but I'm not getting, yeah. my, I'm not getting my head chopped off um, by ISIS right. like some of my brothers and sisters in Christ are. Yeah. Um, what's some of the advantages of laments? You've already covered it. Um, maybe some more advantages in the Christian life of laments. Well, I, I think one of the biggest advantages is that we, uh, by being sensitive to lament, we, we include a whole group of people who have really been disenfranchised by the Church, and especially by um, the, the very narrow definition of worship that we have. Um, I, I got started uh, studying lament when my sister, who's uh, three years older than me, she, she lost two, two babies 13 months apart in two different uh, pregnancies. One, uh, but both, both, both infants were, were born and lived two months and died. Uh. And someone at her church came up to her and said, you must have done something wrong or those babies wouldn't have died. Uh. Yeah, and, you know, we, we groan, you know, those kind of things, but the truth is, we, that's sort of how we think. If something goes wrong in our life, our first, our first question is, what did I do wrong? Yeah. And that's, that's why I bring up again this structure, this idea that, you know, that, that woman was thinking uh, Torah obedience, right? That's mm-hmm. how the, the formula works. Yeah. If I'm good, I'll be blessed. If I'm disobedient, I'll be punished. That's just where we begin uh, when we're babies with, you know, with the Lord. I mean, Job is a perfect example. Job did not do anything to deserve all of his suffering, right? God says, I have no one like Job. But that equation, there's more to that equation. It's not incorrect. There's just more to it. And uh, and that's that's the piece that we learn in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one of the most important uh, aspects of lament is that a whole group of people who, who, who feel like they're supposed to leave this stuff at the door when they come to the church, will realize this is the very place that you bring suffering. I mean, how can we be followers of Jesus and wear crosses around our necks and not, not understand suffering? That, mm. that just seems bizarre to me. Mm. Yeah. Do you sometimes feel that modern expressions of Christianity, although well-intended, are somewhat plastic and, and not really true to life? Sure, I, I think that. I mean, I think that's probably true with you and me as well. I mean, you know, <laughs> the, the truth of the scriptures is a. At one point, it's a massive thing, and at one point, it's something so simple that a child can understand it. And uh, in between those 
sort of two extremes. And I think we get lost. I know I get lost a lot. Um, my best friend's a pastor. His his uh, his uh, point one in his uh, theology is you always start with this. He says, "Okay, first of all, we're all wrong. We're all wrong. <laughs> now let's move forward <laughs> and try, try to understand more." Because uh, yeah, there's there's places that I miss. And then you know, then the Bible also says no one has lived up to the knowledge that they have. Mm. So even those of us who have tried to be more serious and have done our homework, uh, the things we know, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not kind the way I should be kind, and don't forgive people, and uh, in, in sort of to the same degree that I've been forgiven. Um, so yeah, I think we get it, we get it wrong a lot. So we mm-hmm. shouldn't be judgmental and condemning of people who don't understand what we're talking about, but. Um, we, we certainly do need to do the kind of thing we're doing now is talk about. It needs to be talked about and preached about, and yeah. the worship guys need to do a better job of, of writing and, and uh, giving us a chance to sing about it. For some people, it must seem like there's no um, end to the suffering. Um, yeah. and, and maybe there won't be, but um, what's your experience been as people go through, the, as you, me, go through the wilderness? Um, are there times of refreshing? Is there an end to it? How does it work? Well, I mean, you know, when I said before, this structure that I originally started with is from Torah to intimacy, the great central section is wilderness. I think basically, you know, you can look upon this, uh, this life is wilderness. I mean, we are, we are in the wilderness. Um, But that does not mean that God does not show us grace. I mean, we, you and I were created to wake up every morning in the garden, we were not created to experience sickness or death. One of my best friends died about a week ago mm. of cancer. Mm. Uh, even when a 90-year-old person dies, it's funny how there's something in us that feels like, ooh, there's something wrong. That's but right. People are supposed to die because we're not supposed to die. So in that sense, we're in the wilderness all the time, but by His grace, um, you know, God meets us. I mean, that's the wonderful thing about uh, the Incarnation, he, the, the man of sorrows. Uh, you know, he, he understands. Uh, our frailties, he understands the wilderness, and uh, and he promises to never leave us alone. So I think we have a, a lot of reason for comfort. I think the Holy Spirit is, you know, the comforter. So, but I, but I think people would be a lot more realistic and a lot less disappointed if they would take seriously the fact, not just as a part of their theology, but as, as a truth. This is a fallen world. We live in a fallen world, and almost nothing is is the way it's supposed to be. I think. Um, if you open your eyes and look at the world, that's one thing you've got to realize. Things are not as they're supposed to be. Yeah, that's so true. Um, didn't the writer to the Hebrews talk about this man of sorrows, and he uses the, the, the idea of uh, offering up strong crying and tears by mm-hmm. our Lord? Yeah, for the joy that was before him, though. So the joy is always there. I don't yeah. want to you know, explain it so negatively, but the, but the place to the joy, the, the way to the joy is through relationship, uh, you know, with, with Jesus and through sort of redemptively being in relationship with each other. Um, I know, you know, and my brother, my, my sister lost two children, and my brother lost his 18-year-old son to cancer. Mm. And this all happened in a pretty uh, short period of time. And I know the comfort that we experienced was the comfort of the Holy Spirit that comes from kind of beyond any of us. And, and the comfort of brothers and sisters in, in the Church, people who did understand and would not try to fix it, you know, and just say, you know, you're not alone. Mm. Um, yeah. So I, th- I yeah. think all of that comes from people who have uh, who've understood lament. I think people who have suffered 
are uh, uniquely qualified, I think, to come alongside other people who are suffering. And my friends who who've suffered from cancer, I'll tell them, you know, I've got bad news for you. You're now uniquely qualified to speak <laughs> into the lives of people who are suffering. Yeah, yeah. You've written books. Have you written about this subject also? Yeah, I have. I've written two books. Uh, one is called uh, The Hidden Face of God, which is just essays. Uh, there's no big structure to the book. But then the first book I wrote uh, was a book called A Sacred Sorrow, and that's uh, Suffering in the Lives of Job, David, Jeremiah, and Jesus. Okay. Those are four of the real lamentors in the Bible. And what I tried to do is look at each one of their lives and see how they, they, they stayed connected to God in the midst of incredible suffering. And, of course, the answer is they, they lamented. They maintained this difficult conversation uh, with God. I mean, Jesus says, you know, why have you abandoned me? And uh, there's, a, there's a teaching going on now that, um, oh, you know, he, he was uh, just confused and that sort of thing. God would never abandon him. But as I understand it, as he takes on the sin of the world, God, according to Habakkuk, anyway, God looks away. He can't look upon sin. And so, um, uh, and, and Jeremiah uh, is, a, is a, another great example. I mean, what do you do when God becomes your enemy? Because that's what happens in Jeremiah's prophecy. And Job, what do you do when you're Job and you've done everything right and your whole life falls apart? Well, you, you maintain that conversation with God. You don't leave the dance floor till the music stops. Oh, yeah. yeah. I brought up your book here online. It's called A, a Sacred Sorrow, mm-hmm. Reaching Out to God in the Lost Language of Lament. Mm-hmm. And it uh, looks like it's published by Nav Press. Uh-huh. Yeah, that would be a good one to get for our listeners, and uh, maybe, dear listener, you may be going through a terrible time right now, and reading a book like this could actually help you through your time of suffering. Uh, It's called A Sacred Sorrow by Michael Card, and uh, that is our guest today. He's an artist. He's recorded a number of albums, and he's uh, often heard here on Redeemer Broadcasting. In the last few minutes remaining, um, talk to us, if you would, about, um, well, anything you want. But uh, you mentioned this song, To Lift Up Your Sorrows. Yeah. Can you explain that song that you've written a little bit uh, to our listeners? Sure. Um, I said before, it's, it's, it's the favorite. It's my favorite of all the songs I've written, which I don't, I don't know if it's appropriate to even say that. It's sort of like telling people, you know, who your favorite child is or something. <laughs> but. Uh, uh, but it is it is my favorite, and it's my favorite uh, for two reasons. It's, it's my favorite because I wrote it uh, along with uh, a person uh, named Vance Taylor, who um, who I consider to be the greatest musician I've ever known, and I've known some great musicians. But uh, he he sort of I got it started and wrote the words, and he finished the music, and the music is unlike any music I've ever done. Mm. He he was with the work, uh, group uh, Earth Wind and Fire, so he's a wonderful R and B sort of uh, jazz kind of pianist. Mm-hmm. That's one reason it's, uh, it's just so different than most of the songs. And, but the real reason, the, 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 the more, um, the, more, the basic reason is that it takes Psalm 51 and, and tries to engage with it. You know, what is going on? What is David doing in that psalm? Um, you know, if you look at the story uh, in Second Samuel, I think it's in Second Samuel, uh, when the, the baby dies, um, David's been rolling on the floor and lamenting and can't eat and can't sleep. 
And he, he finds out that the little boy died, and then he washes his face and, face and eats and goes to the temple. Yeah. And people ask him, you know, what is, what's up? And he says, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll go to him, but he won't return to me. He's mm. got this, what I call disturbing clarity. And I think he's got that clarity because he's been offering up his honest frustrations uh, uh, to God. He realized, you know, you're going to have to cleanse me with his stuff. You know, you're going to have to show me your, your uh, loving kindness. Because otherwise, you know, forgive me according according to your hesed, according to your your mercy, and uh, he he learned all that by 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 not giving up on God and, and realizing that God's not going to give up on him. And so I think he realizes that the the thing that hurts him the most is at that moment the most precious thing he has to offer to God, and that really brings you back to Jesus too. What does Jesus offer up? He offers up his suffering and his confusion and his is pain, and I think people who are hurting need to need to be to encouraged by the church to say that is an appropriate sacrifice. Yes, Sometimes the thing that hurts you the most can be the most precious thing you have to offer. Yeah, oh, that's a wonderful point. Um, yeah. Perhaps uh, people who have gone through this wilderness um, have a almost an imposed guilt by people that mean well and. Right and are a little bit shallow and don't realize that it's okay to feel terrible yes, when, as you're saying, you're lifting this up to the Lord in lament. Yes. Yeah, amen. Um, just a couple of closing um, words today. We're talking with Michael Card um, to that person out there, and I know each circumstance is totally different, but there's got to be some common threads that people have gone through Michael, can you encourage our listeners who are going through this wilderness and what what they can do to, to cope? Yeah, well, I would say, you know, it, despite what you might have seen reflected from the Church, that, you know, you're, you're supposed to pull yourself together or, or um, leave, you know, leave your, your confusion or your sorrow, even your anger with God, that's not appropriate. Uh, I would say, you know, that, that, that's, not, that's not the Gospel. Um, um, the, the gospel tells us that God uses suffering to save the world. And Paul even says, you know, I'm going to fill up, I mean, whatever this means, <laughs> I'm going to fill up in my own uh, body the suffering that was lacking in Jesus' suffering. I have no idea, really, Dan, I have no idea what that means. Mm, right. Other than it, it means that suffering is redemptive. It can be redemptive, and it can be purposeful, and, it, and it's supposed to be offered up to God. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I would say if you feel like that, you know, you're the farthest from the gospel, I would say you need to think again and realize that no, um, you know, you're 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 as close, you know, as as you possibly might ever be, because mm. uh, Jesus is a man of sorrows. I mean, he, he he experienced flesh, so he could understand, you know, our 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 hurts and our tears and all the rest, and. Um, so you're, you're you're closer to God than you know than, than uh, maybe you've been led to think. Mm, well put. Well, Michael, it's it's been uh, wonderful to talk with you today. And um, last minute remaining, how about Lord's Day? As you look forward to the Lord's Day, I'm assuming that that has a, a powerful effect on your life as we all go through times of wilderness wanderings. Well, I've been coming together on the Lord's Day. Is that that's the time when I, I get together with brothers and sisters who understand this? Mm. And if I'm sorrowful or hurt or hurting, 
uh, I can find men and women who, you know, are going to condemn me. And, uh, you know, it, it, and it happens in Jesus' ministry, right? Who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? This is not a new, not a new idea. Yeah. But uh, I, on the Lord's Day, I come and I'm with, I'm with people who understand that, that um, uh, God's using everything. Uh, to, everything's working together. His glory and and, uh, and my foolishness and and uh, the things that and so many things in my life that have caused uh, suffering, which is you know mostly my foolishness and my sinfulness. Mm-hmm. That uh, those things can be forgiven and uh, not simply you know redemptively, but by God, which they are through the cross of Jesus, they are forgiven. But also in the context of community, I can be I can be still a part of, of the community, and that's. Uh, a wonderful thing to, to, to experience that kind of freedom to leave behind I wrote a song called The Things We Leave Behind it's hard to imagine the freedom you find from the things you leave behind and you leave behind that guilt and uh, and, and receive forgiveness and fellowship it's a beautiful thing mm. Amen today we've been talking with Michael Card the songwriter he's written a book A Sacred Sorrow reaching out to God in the lost language of lament Brother Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Dan. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Come lift up your sorrow And offer your pain Come make a sacrifice Of all your Him with your wounds, for he's wounded.